0: I'm an epidemiologist through and through. At some point in my PhD training, I started hearing about population health sciences. At the time, I couldn't tell you what the difference was between a population health scientist and an epidemiologist, and I still can't. Today, we're going to dive into that topic with a crossover podcast. We're joined by Daryl Hudson, Michael Esposito, and Arisha Martinez-Cardoso, hosts of the Sick Individuals, Sick Populations podcasts. In fact, they're hosting me today, really. So let's just get right into things. All right.
1: Welcome back to another episode of IPHS Sick Individuals, Sick Populations. And so, when I was a kid, um, a very nerdy thing that I like to do was when um, my favorite television show or cartoon, I have a crossover episode imagine like if you're a child of the 80s Voltron crossing over with transformers or something like that so in a much nerdier way um today we're we're hoping to do a crossover, crossover episode and think about some of the things that we talk about on our podcast and talk about it with a sister podcast of us epi counts um that one of the official podcasts for the society for epidemiologic research and we're going to be talking about all things population health so we're really happy to be joined today with one of the two EpiCounts podcast hosts, Ghassan Hamra. Um, Gassan is Assistant Professor of Epidemiology at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health, specializing in environmental and occupational health research. He aims to improve population health by identifying agents that cause disease and can be re- removed from our environment. There's a much longer bio that I can go on on about, but he's an outstanding, very intelligent guy. So thank you so much for making the time and joining us today.
0: Yeah, happy to. Although I will point out, it is three against one here, so I'm a little concerned <laughs> about about. We'll go so easy on if you this, <laughs> if this comes down to population health versus Epi in the end. I I, I don't have a chance.
2: Yeah, we stacked it this way on purpose. So I'm <laughs> <Sorry for laughs> glad saying. you realized that, really. <laughs> <Yeah, great. laughs>
1: So um, we're we're friendly here. Um, so no we we're first discussing this episode. We have a bunch of different ideas. And it sounded like a really nerdy jam session would occur. And one of the first things we talked about was simply defining what our fields are, considering the breadth of the field and how much overlap there is. We also talked about comparing and contrasting different aspects of the field. So with that, let's just jump in. So Mike, I think you have a question to start us off.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Right. So You know, we're living through unusual times Um, during the pandemic, especially there's been, uh, I think, like new exposure to kind of like terms among the populace, like population health or epidemiology or public health. Uh, To the point that um, I think a lot of people are kind of claiming to be these sorts of things on Twitter. I've got an uncle, for instance, who like really thinks of himself as an epidemiologist. He's not. He's not and never listens to him for (laughs) medical advice. But those terms have kind of made it out in the world in that kind of like a way that I don't think they ever have before. So like with that in mind, I'm wondering if you can kind of like uh, kind of kick us off by telling us how you define what epidemiology is and what epidemiologists are. And then also just because, you know, we want to think about ourselves, how you would, uh, from your perspective, you would uh, kind of
0: define population health as well. Yeah, I'll do my best. Um, (laughs) So, you know, I feel like with epidemiology, (laughs) the definition of the field just depends on which textbook you pick up on the day you're trying to define it because so many people have kind of these slightly nuanced ways of defining it. And generally they suggest the same thing, I think, but oftentimes I feel like impressions of the differences in understanding of what epidemiology is kind of come out. So a lot of times there'll be this kind of, and I'm I'm just going to, in my head, pit, I, I kind of have two camps and I think one is further away from population health and one is closer. So the one that's further away is the one where you say epidemiology is about figuring out risk factors for disease. I find that definition to be very oriented toward biomedical thinking. So thinking about like what is this thing that causes this thing? And I feel that that, when you think about epidemiology that way, it's very narrow and focused, which is not always a bad thing. It certainly can be a good thing, but I feel like it's very focused Mm -hmm. and it lends itself to questions about um, certain drugs and certain health outcomes and maybe more like RCT-oriented thinking. on the other side there's the definition that's more along the lines of understanding the distribution and determinants of disease or health outcomes. And I think that one is kind of the more population health oriented side of it where that focus on on populations is kind of inherent in the definition and it's less about a focus on determinants of health if that makes sense. Like it's it's less risk factor and more kind of what I guess people would couch as social epidemiology and maybe a little bit toward population health, but that's kind of how I view it. But yeah, in in terms of that closeness to population health, am I totally off the mark? No, I don't think so
1: at all. I mean, indeed, the title for our podcast, Sick Individuals, Sick Populations, kind of builds off a lot of the ideas that you just mentioned. So this idea of thinking about Population level determinants of health. And when you think about etiology, like you say, you could think about a much more narrow, individualized RCT manner, where you're thinking about, you know, manipulating one exposure and one risk factor, um, and seeing how that from a mechanistic perspective relates to a particular health outcome. And I think population health is trying to do something that's very difficult, which is try to figure out. How does this broad set of determinants from social, environmental, psychosocial factors, et cetera, how do those things all coalesce to affect this broad set of population determinants?
3: Yeah, I often think about it like who cares more about the left versus the right side of the equation. And I feel like epi people, I don't know if you, okay, if we're thinking about an equation, every people really care about the right side of the equation health. They also care about the equal sign, like how to do it. And we really, I think as population health, people really care about, well, now I'm getting confused, the left side of the equation, which is the determinants, right, and like, and really, yeah, right. I think we move away from the risk, like even the word risk factor, like I was just writing a grant, somebody was like, take risk factor out, we don't use risk factor you know, like we, we were really careful about what we think about as the the independent variables for sure.
2: See, this is all very helpful for me, like coming from this, from the demography angle, it just all seems like demography. I don't know what epi is. I don't know what like population <laughs> health is. It's all studying people and kind of like some, whatever outcome you want to post on there, whether it's biomedical, some self-rated thing or whatever, even if it's like one step removed from health, like, it's all, it's
0: all demography and sociology oh, yeah. to me. Yeah. Yeah. Six and one half dozen the other. I mean, right. it's, yeah, it's, it's, I, I definitely think that, and I think that one of the things that's happened since I've trained or, or at least since I was in graduate school, I guess I'm always kind of training in some regard is um there's been more of a call for epidemiology to be, oriented toward the population health side of things like I didn't even know population health was a thing I maybe it wasn't back when I graduated I I genuinely can't remember but I I can recall hearing some announcement about the Harvard population health something and I'm like what the what is epidemiology that's what we're trying to do what am I missing like it sounds like the same thing you just rebranded it why did you rebrand it it's just just now I have to change yeah, all my like letterhead or something like <laughs> that. It was a pain in the butt more than anything else. but it, I but I guess there's a rational reason for it, because I mean, I can see the the kind of the kind of demographic or demography aspects of things coming in more and which I think is actually super cool. i i I, I think I think that there's kind of the clinical side of epidemiology, which is that very risk factor focused side of it. and then, I think a lot of people are trying to orient themselves more toward that population health side of things. And then I think some people try to marry the two in a way that I don't think is necessarily makes a lot of sense all the time. But I think some people try to find that kind of like happy median somewhere, which maybe doesn't exist. I don't know. Marry the two, the clinical
2: or the risk factor kind of epi and population health. Is that what you mean?
0: Yeah. Oh,
1: yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like mid-level theories. Yeah, right. I mean, maybe <laughs> they can't be, maybe they can't be reconciled easily, or maybe they can. I don't know. Go find some of these. <laughs> Y'all are open
2: up the world to me. <laughs> <laughs>
3: um. So the other thing that I think I've noticed, like finishing training, is that people's academic homes also really changes what we call ourselves, and also the flavor of our work. So we as health people, whether we call ourselves epi or population health, can sit in a lot of different spaces. So we can sit in schools of public health like Udison. Um, I'm in a more clinical department and like baked inside of a med school. I think uh, uh, Brightness 2 or, and then um, Mike, you're in the traditional classic sociology department of academia, you're the only true academic, yes, yes, he's giving us the, what is it, like the Italian fingers, like the, yeah, 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 yeah. you're the culture, right, and then Daryl is in this fun interdisciplinary space with like all sorts of different um, disciplines represented in one school over at the Brown School, so for you, Hassan, and maybe we can all like riff a little bit. How do you think your academic appointments have impacted the trajectory of your work, what you call yourself, if at all, or are, you, are you still calling yourself the same thing?
0: I mean, I've always called myself an epidemiologist. I just, I don't know what else I would call myself, honestly. Um, I definitely always kind of lean more toward the quantitative side of things. And I think that that's kind of getting back to that, you know, what is epidemiology versus what is population health, I think maybe a little bit more focused on quantitative, but, and I've always been in epidemiology kind of spaces. I mean, I was at Drexel in School of Public Health and an environmental occupational health department for a little while. And even there, people ask me what I do. I mean, I guess I could say I'm an environmental occupational health researcher, but I mean, if you want to be specific, I was just doing epidemiology. There wasn't anything, anything that would distinguish me from somebody in a department of, of epidemiology, except for maybe a little bit of a focus on kind of more of the exposure side of things, like exposure assessment questions. And that's kind of the only distinction. And that comes from my training in environmental health, I can remember one of my faculty members talking about how inf- exposure assessment was the Achilles heel of epidemiology, which is a quote that I always, uh, I always keep in mind, and I think is horrifyingly accurate. It's, uh, it's something that I don't think in as many people appreciate as they should. Um, but generally, I would say epidemiology through and through, but that's, maybe it would change if I was in a medical school but i doubt it i'd probably it would probably if i were in a medical school i think my focus would be much more clinical obviously more of that risk factor side of things and much less of the the kind of like bleeding over the population health side of it but are you all, are you guys all in population health departments specifically well your demography right michael so that's um that's kind yeah, of yeah yeah yeah
3: do you but, call yourself a sociologist or a demographer Mike or both or
0: what
2: do you what do you call yourself I don't know I don't yeah I've got therapy tomorrow to talk about this um <laughs> it's it's I don't know I feel like I feel like if you would have asked me that maybe five six years ago we we're back in a time when sociology was like very kind of anxious about its own existence and so there was like As we were sitting in our big top hats, like you said, in our very (laughs) official academic circles and having arguments like among ourselves, it was like, well, people are very kind of like strict about drawing kind of like boundaries between what was sociology and what was say demography or population health or something else like that. Um, But those, I think when we realized that if we kept having those conversations like data scientists would just keep eating our lunch, uh, we've thrown those (laughs) things away right. So I've, I I called myself a demographer because it was like kind of born in that moment where it was kind of like, you know, a little verboten to say, I am a sociologist and then people come at your life if you studied health. Um, But now it's uh, like I, I would, you know, consider myself either sociologist or demographer because those lines are very blurred and population health fits in, in the same way. We're just social scientists,
0: I guess, is mm-hmm. the way I would describe it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's, it's really funny because I, I, when people ask me about epidemiology, I'm like, it's a social science. Yeah. yeah. Bit, period. End of discussion. This is, it is a social science. And that is not a derogatory thing. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like, I feel like people really treat it that way. And that is so frustrating to me at times because I'm just like, It's like it's observational data. We're we're kind of working with what we have and you know we can acknowledge its limitations, but also acknowledge the the fundamental benefits of it and just have a discussion around that and make it. It's just a better field in that way, I think. Totally. But yeah, anybody who's like, oh, yeah, we're biomedical, but I'm like, no, we're really not. <laughs> like, it's not at all. At I least it's that. not my, my, my segment of epidemiology, I think, just not at all. Sure.
1: That means a lot coming from you, considering how quantitatively oriented you are, and you do pay attention to the exposure assessment. So that's, that's, uh, that's a lot from you. Yeah.
3: Daryl, how do you call yourself? And I asked because we have the same PhD. But you yeah, I
1: was <laughs> hoping you would not ask copy <laughs>
0: um,
1: I think that's one of the reasons why I like IAPHS is a, is a meeting and an organization because I really don't know how to define myself. I mean, we have the same degree, obviously, Arisha, Um, and it is not exactly what I do. Like our degree says health behavior and health Health education. I don't know what to do about that. Um, So I think traditionally it's like intervention development, which I know how to develop interventions. I do that work sometimes, but always been much more interested in social epidemiology um, or population health. However you describe that, that level of analysis is what I've always been interested in. But Yeah, when I was in grad school, like I took a lot of sociology courses, I was that was my cognate. And so I always thought of myself as like, my sociology faculty um, mentors will always say you're just a sociologist playing in the department in the the School of Public Health, like you should come over and be a sociologist like us. Um, So I've always felt like conflicted about what to label myself from a very early stage. Yeah, for
3: sure. Yeah. In my department when I started, we had these sort of classic or small department, like a baby school of public health in a department. And our core areas were epi health services and biostats. And so they asked me when I started, like, what do you want your like name placard to say? And I was like, and then I, I was like, I was like, I guess social epi, but I'm not like a card carrying social epidemiologist. And I'm just like waiting for somebody to come and be like, "You're not an epi. take that off her, like nameplate. But, yeah, it's just really weird because i I don't I like have it on my name thing. but and then a couple of years later, we all decided that these were these didn't make any sense. Like why did we have these? There was people who were none of the three. And so we took them off. So, yeah,
0: it's really weird. Yeah. Well, so then given that, you know, epidemiology is just so siloed in some ways, I don't know, maybe not siloed, but people have their environmental epidemiology, pharmacoepidemiology, and then social epidemiology, which my question to you guys is, is social epidemiology just population health? Yeah, yeah, totally. It is a
2: <laughs> hundred thousand <laughs> percent. It's the same thing. And actually that it's funny that you say that and list these things out because I'm during this conversation, I realized that I hadn't separated out kind of like epidemiology from population health because I don't ever interact with these other kind of like arcane like environmental clinical epi like <laughs> it's like oh those are just people that exist somewhere far far away from me that I never really interact with so understanding that that's like even attention or those distinctions are drawn in epi I just thought it was all social epi and therefore all population health yeah there's gonna get some,
3: like geographers or like health historians and ask them do they describe themselves as social epidemiologists?
2: Let's see, there you go.
3: I don't know if they do based on their methods, right? Like if they're purely quant, like, I don't know if they would. I don't know, I don't know.
2: Is there, is there qual epi, and I need more? I'm learning about epi today. Do people do anything besides <laughs> quant and epidemiology? I don't know.
0: Well, so that was that was, yeah, that really leads into a question that I had for all of you, which is, is population health really a mixed method field? And is that one of its distinctions from epidemiology? Because epidemiology, again, generally very quantitatively focused. Whereas, you know, if someone were an epidemiologist by training, but they were in a community health department or another department, maybe their work would be more mixed methods oriented. And I will acknowledge up front here that I don't know much at all about mixed methods in terms of any application. I'm, I am almost purely quantitative in nature, but it's something that I'm kind of curious about here. No, no. I almost think it's a case by case
1: basis. Um, so I would call myself a population health researcher as an umbrella. Um, and I've always been kind of both so i've done client work i do qual work um to me it's really about the question and yeah. what you're trying to figure out um as opposed to what the just being kind of this is my method um so i've used survey data i've used health services records and collected interviews and focus groups and whatnot um all in an effort to try to answer these broader questions so for me, it's, it's less about the method as, as opposed to like what the thinking is and what the question is you're trying to
3: figure out.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: I do think that like population health folks will probably push, like I wonder, right? Like quantitative epidemiologists or whatever will probably say like any question can be answered with quantitative data potentially. And I think population health folks would say like, no, like you really need qual data to get at that phenomenon that you're trying to study or the nuance. Like you could probably get a survey out there, but a better way to do it would be through like qualitative work. Um, And I do think like at IAPHS and like other spaces and some journals, um, I think qual is uh, regarded as equally as quant, right? Like, and so I think there is, I don't know maybe as a quantitative maybe in my own mind I feel like there's still a hierarchy but I think it's like getting its right it's like it gets its due place where it needs it
2: yeah uh, yeah I, I, I would agree with all that like uh, I do wonder how that plays out in practice though mm. uh, because like yes we need a quant and quant like uh, Daryl was saying and the was saying like we need it Kind of like to have your methodological approach and kind of your mod- modalities match your questions, right? That is strong, strong science. Uh, but when I go to conferences, and even IAPHS, I'm going call us out a little bit, right? Like I don't see that qual representation um, there. And it's not because people aren't doing good qualitative, very, very informative qualitative research. I still feel that we have a bias towards like kind of being like, well, we're going to take the quant papers for our conference. That's because that's a little bit more quote unquote population healthy. So I think that while we, you know, we, probably more than epi i don't know if like you went to an epi conference or like i've got a qualitative paper if they would like you know <laughs> we'll do horrible things to you um uh, <laughs> at least in, at least in our population health spaces we'd accept that but i still think that we do have a bias towards yeah. quantitative stuff uh, which is something that does need to change yeah for sure
0: oh yeah i, I don't i Trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to think to myself if I've been at a conference and how often I'll see something more qualitative on a poster or a discussion and I would say rarely if ever for sure it's mm-hmm. i mean it's very quantitatively focused it it's almost like it's almost yeah I think I think the qualitative side would be dismissed not or at least in some in many occasions not necessarily justifiably just because most people don't don't lean that way in terms of their their work orientation so it would be less interest generally to the people who are attending those kind of epidemiology focused meetings
1: yeah i wonder another another thing that we just building on this this distinction or noting these different distinctions between epidemiology and and population health is the role of theory and and thinking uh-huh. about history and how history is involved in the production of determinants of health. So I'll put Mike on the spot. I know you've got a paper on redlining and historic redlining and how that affects, you know, different aspects of contemporary health outcomes. Um, And some mixed results there, right? Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, So I'm just kind of curious about how, Gassan, how how do you all think about the role of of social theory? Um, So putting our big, you know, Elbow patches on
2: <laughs> think
1: about these uh, these philosophical things. Um so that's how I always think about theorizing about different social phenomena. Um, what role does this theory play in the the minds of epidemiologists from your perspective? And and in that, if you if you've noticed or in your experience, think about um how you know social or historical factors factor into. Um, how you
0: explain what's happening in the world around us? yeah, so uh, yeah, I I have thoughts on that. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> in, in terms of theory, you <laughs> yeah, so in terms of theory, it if you're kind of oriented more toward kind of I'll use causal inference kind of area as an example, there's a more of a focus on theory in the sense that it's interested in in what we can even quantify in the first place and how we can quantify it and more about the limits of our inference which I think is interesting um so for example you know just like posing that question in the first place like can do are the data we have and the tools we have have the ability to address this research question and what are the limits of it and things like I'm trying to think of a a good example: like, Does a counterfactual even exist in the first place? And if not, then what's the point? Um, and in that regard, you know, so to, to build onto the redlining example, you know, I, I know some people doing redlining work. My wife, actually, for example, um, but and she calls herself an epidemiologist. I'll just, <laughs> total aside, just an aside there, just pointing that out. Um, um, but there's no counterfactual to redlining in in existence really right right? because redlining happened in communities of color period that's that was the whole the whole process it was a fundamentally racist process and the idea that there's a, a natural or very straightforward counterfactual doesn't really work and people have kind of like talked about this in epidemiology but in in ways that i find somewhat unsatisfactory um but those those theoretical Considerations are there, and then in terms of history, we suck at that. I mean, we just <laughs> history. I mean, it is just not acknowledged in any meaningful way in a lot of epidemiologic work. And you know, it, you're, I always think about this when I was at UNC. I had the opportunity, and really an honor, to um, to learn a little bit from Steve Wing, who was a great researcher, and. I think one of his contentions, and this is or one of the points he always raised or thought about, you know, when people talked about social epidemiology, and I'm, t- I'm taking it to an extreme, I think, and I'm not, I'm not quoting him, I'm not necessarily paraphrasing him. But the way I took it was that social epidemiology shouldn't exist as a field, because it should just be everything. Mm-hmm. Like, it is fundamental to what we do, like the, like understanding the context, understanding if your research matters in the first place to a certain community asking communities to to kind of guide research even i mean all those things kind of were fundamental and i feel like you know people mm. cap social epidemiology into this like it's a specialty and I'm like, no it's everything right. it is the it is the basis like if you don't even have some kind of social epidemiology because mm. we have that area of training then you just you just don't even have the context for the work you do and that's unfortunate yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah, for sure
3: i'm sort of having that debate in my department where my class which is the only social epi class isn't required for a doctoral students
0: same here and I, don't I don't like that <laughs> Same. i don't like that
3: and I'm like, but how, How? and then a lot of them are like, we do work on race disparities. And I'm like, how sirs and madams, if like, if there's no, if you've never taken a class on racial inequity, you know? So, yep. you know, like these genetic epidemiologists, I'm gonna be quiet cause they're gonna hear me, but you know, I'm just like, how y'all, how? So, yeah. We,
2: yeah. What What is the, in y'all's departments, what is, if you can say it on a podcast that everyone will hear. Um what is like kind of the 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 counter to that being like, oh well if your position is like, oh, we should teach our students basic social epidemiology. Like what is the no, we don't need to do that position of an argument.
3: Yeah, it's not great, right? It's like they're already taking so many classes. We can't possibly get another. And we're methods heavy department, right? So they take a lot of like Uh, they get trained in all three areas, health services, biostats, and epi. So as long as you took your basic like two series epi series, and then you take a health services research series, and then you take a biostats series, it's like you can't possibly train the -hmm. students who are in epi to like take a more sort of social epi class. It's like, oh, okay, cool, 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 Cool. yeah. Um, Yeah, it's interesting, right? It it does feel like it's spread as specialized.
0: Well, I'll tell you in our, in our, in our school, it's a little bit more, um, specialty focused, but for example, in the kind of general methods, I I think there's a push, or at least I believe one of the requirements is, and I I have, I have to refresh myself on this, but I've I've heard in the past, and I've seen this in other places where you have to have like fundamentals about like biology and things like that. And Mm my head, it's like, why? Like, what do I need to know about biology to understand that, like, an earned income tax credit is probably a good thing. What biology do I need for that? Yeah, yeah, and it's yeah, like, yeah. That, that's the biomedical orientation, right? Yeah. Like, there are the people, and and again, this is not, I'm not trying to disparage any sub area. I think it's all important, but there's that area that focuses on that, and that's cool, but it misses the mark on the other kind of things that epidemiologic tools, which overlap again with sociological tools and econometrics tools, like there's, you know, there's, it misses the mark on those things. Totally, yeah.
2: Just put in a paper, got some reviews back from, on a health paper about life expectancy for, uh, to a general, so, or a general science journal. And we got like some epidemiology reviewers um, and it was like kind of, a bigger point about how life expectancy disparities get spatialized and how they kind of like are distributed across communities and looking at some of the mechanisms and one of them was just like extreme kind of like housing costs um, uh, being kind of like kind of a predictor of a kind of um, a shortened life expectancy right. And so what, like, one of the reviews was like, but what's the, you know, like, what's the mechanism? They were really yeah. kind of like, let's get very narrow on the biological mechanisms. And it was just like, is it important to kind of like, do we really need to be like, like, like get that specific or is it enough to say, yes. yeah, 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 like. Yeah, like extreme poverty, kind of, I don't care how it happens. I can think of a million ways that it can happen. But we know at this point that extreme poverty operates through all these different kind of actual biological pathways, right? And that like a a unwillingness to kind of give up or not give up because like you said, it's important, but just like kind of like putting so much weight into kind of like training around identifying that biology is maybe the biggest difference that I see between uh, kind of pop health and epi. I don't know if everybody else feels the same. Um, Yeah. Or other, or even better, what are some other kind of like points of uh, kind of divergence in kind of our training? Uh, Because otherwise I think they're very, very similar, but uh, there are these weird points of difference. Yeah.
3: That's probably a big one. Like I even think a lot about, okay, what is the biological mechanism? for all of the things, like, I think that was really trained in me or like ingrained into me. Uh, and TBH, I think I make a lot of it up because I don't even <laughs> understand the biology. I just like, you know, but yeah, for sure. I would I would say that, what else? What else are we trained? I, I'm just like thinking of like the three of us, right? Like Darren and I were sort of similar. We trained, but different. And then Mike, you're different. because i you're a little different. Um, we-
2: Again, we didn't talk about biology at all. It's like huh. forget it. Yeah, it, <laughs> forget so like it.
3: Did a bit, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah I, think, I think when you go to programs that are a little more of that risk factor focus, which are a lot, then probably that biological training is more kind of emphasized. But yeah, I, I certainly didn't have an emphasis In my training, at least, I don't feel like I had an emphasis on the kind of history and and the kind of more population health side topics.
1: Yeah.
0: What does theory training look like
2: in an EPI program? Like, do y'all sit down and say, "Let's pop open marks and let's go"? Like, start from let's start (laughs) reading, or is it just like I don't know? Stress is a thing. I
0: don't know.
1: Well to be fair, um I, at Michigan, we did have in our epidemiology department social epi and as a as a group. Um, and there was also population health courses inside the, the social epi group. Um so we would hear from all the known people that that folks they spread out all over the country now. Um and We talked about theory um part of that is because some of the folks who ran the pop house center um our group were sociologists so people like house for example um were talking about social theory so we didn't go down to marx or weber or anybody like that um that mike would know and, and love from from those sociological theory courses but we did place an emphasis on what is theory? How is it useful? Why should we even care about having a framework so we can understand these social phenomena? So while we didn't get well-versed in and say uh, a specific theory, we did talk a lot about stress and coping. Um, So like folks like Arlene Geronimus, for example, thinking about weathering and and how stress over the life course could quote unquote get under the skin and affect a wide variety of of health outcomes. Um so there's folks like that or or George Kaplan thinking about these broader, you know, social environmental factors. Um but again a lot of these folks were not like hard caring epidemiologists either. So I think that's one of the, I guess for for better or worse, um having that breadth and that transdisciplinary um perspective really did help to set that. At least those courses and and that particular sub group apart.
3: I think it was theory light for sure, but mm-hmm. it was I would maybe theory with like a lowercase t as opposed to a capital T. Yeah,
0: yeah, I think that's generally what we do. I mean, sometimes, I, I, again, it depends, but yeah, we definitely talk about like Jeffrey Rose, sick individuals, yep. sick populations, but then also like the Bradford Hill criteria and then the causal inference kind of fundamentals like what are the what are the violations of making causal inference like those things are there mm. and depending on where you go they may be emphasized a little bit more or less but it just it, it it's very program dependent and that's actually one of the things i was gonna ask you all is how unified is the training in population health in the first place because i mean for us for epidemiology It depends on where you go it's it's 100% where you go what in terms of how you're thinking how you'll come out thinking about certain either like what epidemiology is oriented toward or what it should be oriented toward how to interpret evidence in the first place like all the kind of stuff is just so focused in or at least so determined by where you trained, in my view, that it it just makes such a huge difference. But I don't know. Like like physics, is that the case for physics? I mean, maybe maybe like, I don't know, but population health, same thing. No,
1: that's a huge question. I think you're absolutely right. though. I think so much of it depends on where you train. Um, Like you can always tell and this is, I don't want to wade into like controversy joke zone on <laughs> where we start calling out how people think, where, where they trade, but you can tell, you can totally tell where people come from by the types of questions they're asking and how they're looking at the world and trying to explain different phenomena. Unfortunately, there's not a whole lot. Like if you were an incoming doctoral student or aspirant and trying to figure out where you want it to go, that stuff is now on the website. There's no way to really figure out like how you'll come out, what brand, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, which mm-hmm. makes me feel dirty saying that, but what <laughs> brand of yeah.
3: Yeah.
1: pop health, epi person you'll be when you come out on the other side.
2: Yeah. I mean, even at the same institution, I know Daryl, they're, they're not at the same place. You walk across campus from yeah. one place that studies public health, that won't be named but I just said it and then another kind of department that like is invested in a lot of ways in studying population and public health and couldn't be more different in kind of like how kind of they approach it um, and ever, just funding structure just everything across the board it's just like might as well be in completely different universes right and then that only multiplies when you kind of start getting across institutions so yeah I don't know I don't know if there are any that's very standard across it, but there's a ton of variation uh, to be sure. Yeah.
3: Yeah, definitely there's camps. There's definitely camps. I felt the camps when I was in my department, like, oh, I'm not not part of that crew, I'm part of this crew and like, yeah. Oh, going back to the theory question though, useless theory that I have in my head now is all of the like behavior change theories, if you wanna call them those, like, theory of planned behavior, the health belief model. I mean, what are all these? Oh, they're so bad. They're so bad. Like cringe. <laughs> they're so just weird. these like, these, the interventionists, maybe it's like psychology. I don't even know who came up with these, um, which are all these like theories of like how people change their health behaviors, right? Or just like behavior in general. And so I learned them in my master's program and then again in my PhD program. And we teach them now and everyone's just like, these are bad, but we continue to teach them. Yeah, they're just, yeah, I have books and books on them. Yeah. Daryl's nodding like knowingly, like, yeah, yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what to do about that. Um, I mean, we've, we've had challenges with these theories for a long time, but I always tell people theory is not theology, so.
3: So yeah.
1: to, you know to, to yeah. investigate how these theories don't work and they won't work for certain populations because they're not taking account so we talk about epidemiology but i would say the same thing for a lot of health behavior interventionists is that if you don't take into account the context in which people are living and the history there and whatnot the interventions that people develop are superfluous like they will not meet the mark and that's what we've seen in, in years and years and years of research is that there's not a grounding in the reality in which people live and I think more recently like I would say over the last 10 or 15 years there's more of a, a social determinants focus but it's it's late arriving like that should have been like square At one
3: point, yeah <laughs> right yeah. um yeah We should bring in like a bread and butter interventionist into a podcast episode and just like see what they say, you know?
0: Oh, wow.
2: I have no idea what anyone's talking about. This is (laughs) shocking. (laughs) This is shocking. Okay. This is more reading to add to the list.
3: Yeah. Um. Oh no, no, don't read it. Mike, just save your time. Just like it's
1: not time. like it's not like it's measuring
2: people's head in something and seeing if they're capable of behavior change. We're not talking about that old school. Okay, all right, all right,
1: all right. <laughs> but these are very, very spicy hot takes though. Um okay, yeah, so yeah. Yeah, they're yeah. very hot takes that that um we're providing on on yeah, the fields. On the fields. Fair enough.
3: So to bring a little levity, million dollar question for everybody, if you could go back knowing what you know now and get trained in a different discipline, or if you're one of those that's going to go get your second PhD, uh, what do you think you would have done it, your original training in, or get your second PhD in? Kasan, why don't we start with you as our guest?
0: Well, I think the the answer a lot of epidemiologists end up giving is that they in biostatistics because they get paid more to do the same thing <laughs> not really at all true but i think sometimes people say that um gosh i don't know maybe demography demography sounds dope yeah. I, I was really interested in demography i mean like i i don't know if she was trained in demography but um, a researcher who i learned from a unc Beverly Rockhill who I think is now Beverly Levine it was I think she had trained in demography and a lot of her work was super cool and I was like man that's a way that's a way of thinking about things I like that way of thinking about things which was much less of the risk factor kind of oriented thinking so it would be kind of cool to pursue that I think if I were to just pick something off the top of my head but I, I've never I've really thought about it very much honestly <laughs> that's a very good answer. I support that. <laughs> right, <of laughs> the
3: life table side, you know? <laughs> uh, Mike, what about you?
2: I don't know. I guess I'm in two minds. First, I would probably choose something like physics. So it's, there's no variance in anything and you just get to, everyone likes you and respects you. And it just seems like <laughs> a really good life. Um, but if I had to stay in the social sciences, I don't know. I'm I'm pretty happy with demography, but I may, I may go like social epi, like I really love a kind of this theoretical kind of like conversations uh, the field has about kind of counterfactuals and kind of like causal inference and like, especially now, like all the kind of modern takes on that. And it's like, well... Can we actually even identify anything under these classical assumptions? How do we change it? That's all real fascinating stuff. And that's probably where it would go if I stayed somewhere in the social sciences, social health sciences, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: but definitely physics to be
1: cool. Yeah. Yeah, totally. String theory and stuff.
0: Yeah.
3: (laughs) Daryl, what about you?
1: Uh definitely sociology. I think I probably if I had to do it all over again, I probably would have done a joint degree. That's why I ended up being off talked off the ledge <laughs> not to do um when I was about midway through my program. Um but I do wish I had thought about that on the front end. Um so that's probably what I would do. Yeah. Another strong choice. Under <laughs> <laughs> Rachel, what about you?
3: Oh yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I think I would have gone. Okay. Many, I have too many. I asked, I posed this question. <laughs> and I, okay. Too many. I think I, I really wanted to go into advertising and marketing when I was like 18. I maybe would have sold my soul to the corporate devil, but I think more realistically, if I were stick sticking and doing what I do now, I, I think I should have done a social epi program instead of the health behavior program that I did do but I didn't know what that was until much later um or history I think I really could have gotten Mm -hmm. down like classic history um and linked it to some of the stuff I do now because I think I appreciate learning about what happened in 1927 that shaped the random policy that we have now like that's Mm -hmm. always so fascinating to me and I wonder if I could like Flip it as like an actual, but like historians don't get jobs and like right. when they're paid, they're like I don't know. Yeah, but I was no, like, it's the reality. Job. It's, oh, no. it's, bad. it's so bad for them. Yeah. But
2: you, but if you go to the conference, you ever see how like historians are always like the cool kind of like yes. mysterious they dress the best. They the yeah, best yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah,
3: yeah. I would take that
2: over anything. Yeah. It's
3: fine. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I actually, I think I'll amend my answer and say, I would probably do something like, know, what was I thinking just now? Not journalism, but yeah, it probably, so maybe, maybe a little bit of sociology. I really, I have this like fascination with how horrifyingly racist the education system is and i was like i was like if i could just go and work for nicole hannah jones yeah <laughs> like, do whatever she tells me to do and work with her i'd be golden i think that i think that would be the move i, I would just i would just i would just relish that kind of position and stay there for a long time
2: yeah I take this podcast now as a ghost for christmas past type thing to be like <laughs> advertise it to kind of incoming students, like look at all these accomplished people that are like, I wish I could go back and be a sociologist, right? Like this is what we need to get our numbers up.
1: Yeah. There you go. For
3: sure.
1: You all are welcome.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Cool. cool.
1: Well, this has been really fun. Um, Ghassan, we really appreciate you um, taking the time to talk with us today and um, sharing your perspectives obviously we have a lot overlap there's some distinctions too but obviously everybody wants to be a sociologist at the end of the day so apparently (laughs) but we really appreciate
0: you and uh and especially jumping on in the middle of the summer i appreciate it and uh, unfortunately it's unfortunate brian couldn't have been here as well because i think i would have enjoyed hearing his take on all these things as well but he's home taking care of twins with covid as a Basically, everybody's um, taking care of somebody with COVID or has COVID yeah. at this point with the BA5 variant or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. For sure.
3: All right. Well,
0: nice
3: to talk, to y'all. See you next
0: time. Yeah, it was great. See Thanks. you next time.